You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Hello, North Alabama. Welcome to the Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. I'm obviously not Phil Williams. I'm Scott Stantis filling in for, what would you say here, Copper? Vacationing? Working? Work. Just, just wanted to take time off? Work. Working. He's always working. Phil Williams. I, I got to tell you something, by the way, right off the shoot. Phil Williams' resume and Phil Williams as a person are just remarkable. Really, I don't know if you know this. Army Ranger, uh, uh, ordained minister, two-term state senator. Now he's a radio show host, and he's also um, a, a top dog over at the Alabama Policy Institute, where I am nothing more than a senior fellow. Yeah, very impressive. I called him a uh, Renaissance man once, and he he got all uh, blushy. <laughs> Did he get blo- he blushed? <laughs> no, I'm you teasing. made Phil blush. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> really? That's adorable. <laughs> he got all flustered, a little flustered. He like um, no, he is he is truly an amazing guy, and it's a big, 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 big shoes to fill. I'm going to try it for the next couple of hours here. This is of course Right Side Radio, solid conservative, and you know what? Just plain right. Uh, I'm Scott Stantis, and if you don't know who I am, and why would you? <laughs> I was the editorial cartoonist at the Birmingham News for 13 years, went on to the Chicago Tribune, where for 10 years I was on staff. I left, but I'm still drawing for them. I, but I moved back to, guess where? Alabama. I could have moved anywhere in the world, literally. We looked at the south of France. We did. We did. Don't look at me like that, Copper. We looked at the south of France. I would have moved to France. <laughs> we moved here. First of all, our son and his wife live here. We have a house here. And we just love it. We have friends. I mean, Alabama is awesome. I mean, and so that's that's why I'm here right now. A little bit more background. Um, conservative, worked in Republican campaigns my whole life. Uh, actually, at the age of 13, worked on the, re- <laughs> I'm so old, worked on the re-election campaign for Richard Nixon. Placing me on the strictly adhere to do not date list for the rest of my life in Madison, Wisconsin, and then uh, bounced around, and here I am. I also do a comic strip called Prickly City, which appears in about 100 papers around the world. Uh, my editorial cartoons are syndicated to about 400 papers around the world. Um, so if you pick up a newspaper, chances are you'll see my work somewhere. Newspapers. Okay, cop. A newspaper is ink on paper. No. I thought it was parchment. It's true. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's, yeah, newspapers. How about that? I mean, I know what they've done at the Huntsville Times, the Birmingham News, and the Mobile Press Register. They've just des- gutted it and decimated it. And it's sad. It truly is. It's good to have a press, uh, an active press looking at you, watching you, you know. And so I think any anyone who is now an elected official in like the news deserts, this must be the best days ever because no one is watching what you're doing. So it's awesome. Uh, we've got a great show coming up for you. We've got Ted Rawl, who's uh, the progressive columnist for the Wall Street Journal. I know you're thinking, why would we have a progressive on conservative talk? Well, Ted actually hates the Democrats almost as much as I do. <laughs> Although hate's a strong word, but it's the right word. <laughs> so he's coming up. We also got Charles Lipson, who has written a fascinating piece called A Gold Medal Question, Should Women's Sports Even Exist? I'm sure you've been following this story, or at least heard about it. The uh, weightlifter from New Zealand, the transgender, I'm doing air quotes, which is always effective on radio. Transgender um, weightlifter for New Zealand is uh, competing in this year's Olympics or last year's Olympics, which is this year's Olympics. Yeah, that hangs together. Doesn't it? Yeah. 
It does. Trust me on this one. <laughs> and um, at the bottom of the second hour, we also have a special guest calling in. Uh, so, so stay, stay, you know, stay there. We've got some news coming up. Um, fascinating stuff. And you know what? No one's going to care about the rest of it because the number one news story right now, as far as I'm concerned, as far as you're concerned, and if you're sitting down, stand up. You standing up? Okay. You want to sit down for this. Texas and Oklahoma apparently are making a very serious bid to join the SEC. Now, <laughs> I think this is massive news and would make for a, I mean, the conference, it would be incredible, an incredible addition to the conference. It really would be. Um, they're talking about four separate, I don't know what they call them, pods, bubbles, things. I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> Huts. <laughs> and that they all compete. And it'd be different regions of the of the SEC now as it has it adds two more teams. Apparently, uh, they te neither Texas nor Oklahoma showed up at the Big 12 uh, convention this week, which is kind of weird because those are two of their premier teams. So, you know, you just don't know. Texas, Oklahoma coming to the SEC. Um, I want to... I know that Phil talks about woke culture here a lot and i and it's just it's crazy you know how crazy this gets i showed this to uh copper before we went on the air um i'm not making this up i'm not this is from the new york times <laughs> i'm gonna try to make it through i'm gonna try as serious as i can because i don't want to offend the people who this could offend don't call them shark attacks scientists say now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, why? Shark scientists have long called for less sensational language, saying that they are not trying to police anyone's speech, which, of course, they are trying to police other speech. Rather, they said they want to change the public's perception about animals whose population has plummeted by a significant amount since 1970, largely from overfishing. The disappearance of sharks threatens uh, to up in marine ecosystems and critical source of food, they say. Officials in some U.S. and Australian states were careful to say that they had chosen their language for precision and not because of political correctness or pressure from activists. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> Last week, two Australian states drew swift mockery when the Sydney Morning Herald reported that they were moving away from the phrase in favor of shark attack to shark bites, shark incidents, and shark encounters. Yeah, just imagine asking somebody who, who's got like half their face and side <laughs> like gnawed off. Oh, what happened to you? Oh, I had a shark encounter. Yes, it was an encounter. Doesn't that sound like something you would do at like, you know, a, a, a drum circle retreat? You know, we we had... So, I, and I'm, I, this, I mean, this goes on to, to talk like this and say that they're not trying to be politically correct. I'm just wondering, who are we offending here, people? I mean, uh, are, do we, are, are we afraid that we are going to insult the sharks? It's the sharks fanboys and girls. Oh wait, sorry, sorry. That that's using gendered pronouns. Yes. I can't do that. Now you've done it. <laughs> you've brought the cis male and female shark aficionados down on us. Oh God. Right out of the chute. Right out of the chute. Thanks a lot. That's why we can't have nice uh shark bites. Doesn't that sound like something like you, you do with your kid? Oh, here comes the shark bites. Uh, no, I mean, you've seen what they do to surfboards. You've seen what they do to surfers. If I'm lying on the sand and, you know, blood is... 
out of my leg because it's just been chomped off by a shark. Someone's going to run up to me and they're going to say, Scott, I don't know why they know my name, but they do. Scott, what happened? And I'm going to say, I had a shark incident is what happened. I had a shark incident. Yeah. They bit off my right arm. How long until they call me lefty? I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, here's, do we have time to get to another one or should we, uh, we have one more? Okay, this is great. This is great. You're going to love this one, folks. Um, we talk about big tech. We talk about big tech censoring people. This is a group called W. NY Gardeners, which I'm assuming is West New York, has been repeatedly flagged in the social network for violating community standards when it's more than 7,500 members discussing the long-handled blade implement, which is spelled with an E, unlike the offensive term. Can you guess what the term is, folks? That's right. It's ho. Uh, which one member, when one member commented, <laughs> quote, push-pull, ho, exclamation point on a post about preferred wedding tools weeding tools not wedding tools <laughs> sorry <laughs> that takes us someplace entirely different um facebook sent a notification that read the review we reviewed this comment and found it goes against our standards for harassment and bullying this is what happens when bots rule the world. Yeah, this is their algorithm, apparently, and Facebook was really sorry that this happened, but someone also said, wrote down now, stay with me here, this is the West New York Gardening Club, wrote, quote, kill them, drown them in soapy water, end quote. And, and Japanese beetles are jerks. Were some of the comments Facebook deemed offensive, according to the moderator. The gardening group Snafu was not Facebook's first ho faux pas. <laughs> so there you go, folks. Now you're up to speed on the important news of the day. I'm Scott Stannis filling in for a very busy Phil Williams here on Right Side Radio. Solid conservative and just plain right. We'll be back right after this break with none other than Ted Rawl, best-selling New York Times author and progressive columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Stick around. You're going to want to hear this. Welcome to North Alabama. I'm Scott Standis filling in for Phil Williams here on the Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Um, just to explain, I, a lot of times um, I've been accused of not being conservative enough. I hope um, I hope that's not necessarily the case. You're going to find that out in the next couple hours here as I fill in for Phil. Um, so what's going on in the world? I just did a cartoon. I, 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 I still cartoon for the Chicago Tribune. But I just did a cartoon for counterpoint.com. And if you haven't seen that, you should probably go to it, subscribe. It's free. Um, I did a cartoon about Nancy Pelosi. 
And Nancy Pelosi actually, um, you know, wanted to set up the one, you know, the, the January 6th commission, right? And she said, I want this to be nonpartisan. I want this to be six Democrats, six Republicans. Republicans, you pick your guys, we'll pick our guys, and we'll go. So the Republicans picked their guys, and guess what happened? <laughs> they weren't the kind of nonpartisan that Nancy Pelosi was thinking about. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, here's that you tell somebody, hey, listen, you get to pick your six guys, we'll pick our six guys, and then we'll then we're gonna go forward and find out what exactly happened on that day, who did what, and uh, you know, we'll figure this out together. No, she wanted the right people. So um <laughs> I've known about Nancy Pelosi for years. I'm, I'm actually originally from Southern California. And uh, so she was obviously a congresswoman from up north. And we, but we knew who she was. And she was prominent as she rose up in the leadership of the House. Um, and you just knew what kind of person, what kind of leadership. And again, air quotes. Got to stop doing air quotes on the radio. What kind of leadership we were going to get with Nancy Pelosi. And... By gum, if we don't have the very best, the most quintessential example of Nancy Pelosi leadership with the January 6th commission, nonpartisan, partisan, 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 nonpartisan, partisan commission. Listen, I'm going to invite you guys. We have a great guest coming up right now, but if you want to give us a call and join in the conversation, we would love to have you. I'd love to have you. The number here is 866-494-WVNN. That's... 1-866-494-9866. Our guest is, do we have him? Copper, yay, we have him. I guess I should put my headphones on so I can actually hear what he has to say. Our guest is Ted Rawl. Ted Rawl is a syndicated columnist. This may take some time, to, uh, Ted. Are you, are you uh, relaxed? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Ted is a syndicated columnist, syndicated cartoonist, New York Times bestselling author, progressive columnist for the Wall Street Journal, and most important of all, one of my very good friends. Ted, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. Uh, Ted, okay, so you're a progressive for the Wall Street Journal. How in the world does that happen? Because it, we, we, those of us on the right, we have so little to hold on to, you know, in terms of mainstream media stuff. Wall Street Journal editorial well, page. What? What? Well, it's, it's affirmative action. You know, I mean, you know, there has to be a quota system, and uh, I'm it. <laughs> You're it. You're the uh, the token progressive. Um, you have been, in your columns of late, and not just of late, but reason, very, very harsh on the current administration uh, of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I mean, you're progressive. You should be thrilled to death, right? Uh, well, progressives aren't Democrats. And that's important to understand. I mean, sometimes progressives end up voting for Democrats. In fact, for years they did sort of routinely vote. But that sort of stopped uh, four years, four or five years ago with Bernie Sanders. Uh, you know, we sort of decided to drift away from the party. Uh, if the party had nominated Bernie, we would have been there for, Hil uh, for him in the fall. But we weren't there for Hillary because she wasn't one of us. She was a Democrat. She wasn't a progressive. So we withheld our votes, and that's why she lost. Well, a lot of us are scratching our heads here right now because this is, I mean, obviously coming from the other side, we're looking at Democrats and, we're, you know, they're all progressives, they're all socialists. And I think your take and your columns have said 
pretty vehemently in, 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 in substantial ways that they're not the Democratic Party as we know it. The Democratic Party of Biden, of Hillary, of the Clintons is not a progressive party. No, it's not a progressive party. I mean, in some you know ways, the, the 2016 and 2020 cycles were very interesting and very enlightening because you could actually see um, some interesting schisms within the Democratic Party that kind of carried over to the right. I mean, for example, you'll notice that Trump derangement syndrome didn't really affect the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Of, of it's progressive. You know, we we personally. Yeah, we didn't look at Donald Trump and think, oh, my God, he's the devil. Um, you know, and so there were certain things about him we actually liked, like the economic nationalism, uh, you know, the border policy, uh, the skepticism of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, I'm very, very approving of, the, of his order to get out of Afghanistan. Uh, those are, you know, things. So you're sort of seeing fault lines in places that maybe I think a lot of Republicans don't see. But, you know, a good analogy of that. Um, look! Look at what happens on the on the right. I mean, not all conservatives are happy with the Republican Party, and so it's sort of the same thing. Okay, so I mean, so where I mean, what in your dream world, in Ted Rawls' dream world, the Progressive Party and the Democratic Party would do what differently? Because you know, again, we look at things like. Um, you know, Biden having this, the deficit spending, having the infrastructure bill, having you know, all of this stuff, and that certainly strikes most of us as progressive. Um, you know, we're not, not, we're not angry at Biden about the infrastructure bill. I mean, we could argue about the details, and we're not against deficit spending either. But again, neither party seems to be against deficit spending, uh, really. <laughs> God, um, no kidding. But there's, I, you know, what would we do in an in a ideal world? Workers' rights are the most important thing to progressives. So we want to see a higher minimum wage. We want to see the ability to unionize if you want to join the union. We want to see uh, sort of a stronger balance in favor of labor and labor management negotiations. But we also care about stuff like uh, trying, to, trying to save the earth from burning up from climate change. Um, we're also and we're very, very skeptical about... Uh, going to war in other countries, unless those countries are a direct threat to the United States. You know, they're going to invade us, they're going to bomb us. Hey, Ted, Ted, uh, we uh, should leave them alone. Ted, hold that thought. We're going to have you back for another segment. I'm Scott Stantis. And if you want to give us a call, number's 866-494-WVNN, 866-494-9866. Here with Ted Rawl, progressive columnist for The Wall Street Journal. We'll be right back. Copper had to see me dance. That was just white man overbite. It was horrible. I'm sorry. She'll, are you going to be okay? Might clean my eyes a little. Just a little. <laughs> Use bleach. <laughs> I'm Scott Stannis filling in for Phil Wims here on Right Side Radio. Solid conservative and just plain right. We're going to back to Ted Rawl, who's a syndicated columnist, syndicated cartoonist, New York Times bestselling author, progressive columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And again, full disclosure, a good friend of mine. So Ted, welcome back. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. So we've been talking about the progressives and how you've been saying in your columns for the Wall Street Journal, your syndicated column, how progressives are really, really 
ticked off at the Democratic Party for not re- reflecting your beliefs. I mean, that'd be pretty accurate, right? It, it would be. Um, you know, the, the the Biden administration has continued the path of the Democratic Party uh, by refusing to really bring us into the conversation, even though we account for the majority of, of Democratic voters. And uh, they don't seem to care that much about us. They take us for granted. Well, and, I mean, does that... Uh speak to what happened in 2020 not the not the presidential election but rather what happened in the house and the senate um they barely took the senate now it's obviously 50 50 split they lost seats in the house it's now what a five five seat uh five vote difference now 15 vote it's it's a razor thin majority in the house i mean part of that do you attribute that to the fact that they have uh, for years taken progressives for granted and now they just uh you know uh they're not getting the love. Yeah, progressives uh, definitely came back uh, a little bit more for the Democrats after 2016 uh, to vote against Donald Trump, not not with the same enthusiasm or at the same numbers as previously. And yeah, I think that's, Scott, you're exactly right. The lack of, of uh, presidential coattails for Biden sort of reflects that, right? I mean, they, uh, the, what the, uh, Biden, the Biden strategy was to get anti-Trump Republicans, and they got those. They got enough of those to put them over the top. But that what that meant is that they didn't get the progressives, the base of the Democratic Party, people who sort of reliably vote left to uh, show up to the polls and and then vote for Democrats down ballot. So okay, that's, so that's why those people aren't there. One more political question I want to talk to you because Ted also has written like a Silk Road to Ruin, which was a magnificent. Uh, book about travels throughout the Shtans, shall we call them? And also, he's he was unembedded in Afghanistan, uh, so we want to talk about that a little bit. But before we do, what if you had to oh, get your crystal ball out, your progressive crystal ball, which I'm assume is made out of you know whole wholly recyclable material? Uh, <laughs> uh, what do you see in 2020 and uh, 22, and also 24? Well, I think the uh, Democrats are going to uh, lose some seats in 2022. Um, the, you know, Biden's not going to have any more major legislative achievements. I don't. I think he does. He have any now? Seriously, he has none now, right? But he wants Ted. He doesn't um, have any legislative achievements now. He does. But there's not. But then it's you know how elections are. By November 2022, the election the electorate goes to the polls and they ask themselves, "What have you done for me lately?" And uh, the economy might not be in great condition by then. Uh, the stimulus will have worn off. There's going to be a lot of people who will have been evicted as, as the eviction moratorium uh, goes away. So I think there's going to be some misery. Um, and, you know, normally uh, the party in power loses seats in the midterms, and I think this will not be an exception. Now, for 2024, it's look, it's an eternity. But I guess at this point, we've talked about this before, Scott, I think Trump may try again as he's been Oh, absolutely. To do. And, and it's hard to imagine. I just don't see anyone else in the GOP who has his oath at this point. You know, who, who else do they have? Uh, who's in the farm system who can really challenge him in the primaries and become the nominee? I, I don't see it. But that could change. Uh, and I don't think Kamala Harris is a very exciting candidate. I mean, look, she did very poorly in the Democratic primaries, uh, and she washed out pretty quickly. I don't see her really growing into the VP position right now. No, no. I think if it's a Trump versus Harris ticket, I mean, come on, nobody thinks Biden's running. Uh, They can wheel him out. They can do marvelous things with taxidermy now. 
Um, I, I wanted to ask you, and this I was going to go to Afghanistan, but I want to talk to you about this real quick too, and that is um, the cognitive, you and I have talked about this a lot, obviously, just you and I, about the cognitive skills of the current president or the lack thereof. Um, first and foremost, is that, I mean, it's okay to talk about that, right? I mean, it's okay to say, I think the president's lost his, you know, off his noodle. I, I, and you have said the same, very same thing in your columns. Yeah, well, I think it ought to be okay to talk about it, but you're in risk. You're at risk of cancellation on the left if you do talk about it. Just not considered okay. That's another, by the way, another division. Progressives definitely see Biden's mental state for what it is, and uh, Democrats refuse to talk about it. Yeah, I, mean, I was. We were just talking to Copper, my producer here, off off the air, and saying, should we have? I mean, I think the president should have a physical every year, and they re- and they release the results. And that means cognitive tests as well. I want to know, this guy has, or woman, has their finger on the button. You know, I mean, they're in charge of the largest military ever assembled in the history of the world. It's a, And I want to know if that person's okay. I, I think that's a legitimate question. I think it's completely legitimate. Look, there's lots of regular jobs, like being an airline pilot, uh, where they have to undergo regular physicals and mental acuity tests. And uh, the, United, the president of the United States is a more important position. And parenthetically, maybe it's time to start thinking that we need more than one person to start a nuclear war, you know? Yeah, but that just makes life interesting, doesn't it? He could wake up and, you know, think he's actually reaching for the oatmeal. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why oatmeal, but there is. Okay, let's, let's shift gears real quick. Uh, American withdrawal from Afghanistan. 20 years in there, what do we have to show? I want to tell the audience, by the way, Ted has traveled extensively throughout Afghanistan and throughout the region. So, I mean, we're not talking to someone who's just, you know, reads the New York Times and uh, the Atlantic and has an opinion. He's actually been feet on the ground in Afghanistan. What have we achieved? What haven't we achieved? Should we be leaving? Absolutely. We should have never been there in the first place. So, of course, we should be leaving. Uh, look, we went chasing Osama bin Laden there. He was never there. He was, never, he was in Pakistan the whole time. Uh, we, went, we went in there and tried to establish democracy, except we installed a, a government. That's not creating democracy. Democracy is when the people choose their own government. And we spent $2 trillion with a T. We lost thousands of American lives. Thousands more of, of our soldiers came back wounded. And tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Afghans died. And where are we? We're right back where we started. The Taliban are going to be in charge of the entire country in no time. We gained absolutely nothing. It was a huge mistake. Yeah, and God bless the guys who went, but you're, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. We seemed to stumble into it, and we were stuck there for 20 years. Um, It looks like Al Qaeda is making a big comeback. Hooray. We've got uh, ISIS making rumblings now and growing. I mean, when we leave, what's going to happen in Afghanistan? You, your, your take is that uh, Kabul is going to fall as well as the rest of the country. What happens then? Well, the rest of the country is going to fall for sure. Whether Kabul goes, that's not a certainty. But it's, I, I would I say it's more certain than not. Um, and, you know, I think and at that point, probably the Taliban will ironically end up wiping out uh, the ISIS cell in Afghanistan because they are enemies. Um, and then we're going to end up with Taliban-run 
Afghanistan. It's not going to be the same as it was in the late 90s. How so? Uh, it's going to be a little more modern. It's going to feel more like Pakistan or Saudi Arabia. Oh, God. Uh, it's not going to be the 14th century. <laughs> that has not worked uh, out well for us. it will be a good place to be a woman. <laughs> I'm going to say Pakistan and uh, Saudi Arabia. Not working out well for us, That those alliances there. Um, <laughs> God almighty. Now, you're talking about going back. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I can't wait to go back. I want to see. Uh, I want to be there when the change happens, and I want to see what it looks like uh, on the ground. And uh, there's no way to do that other than to go yourself. A copper was rolling her up. My producer was rolling her eyes at you for, for wanting to go back. I think that was more of an impressed grimace, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay ted thanks hey listen thanks for joining us man we're going to head off into a break right now but uh you've been listening to ted rawl who is the progressive columnist for the wall street journal syndicated columnist syndicated cartoonist ted if they want to see on a new york times bestseller am i missing anything snappy dresser bon vivant i mean <laughs> bon vivant especially yes I think you can check out my website go to, go to rawl r-a-l-l.com Okay, rawl.com. And um, Ted, thanks again for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. It was great. Take care, man. Ted Rawl, uh, we're going to be back shortly. I'm Scott Stannis filling in for Phil Williams here on Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. Hello, North Alabama. I'm Scott Stannis filling in for Phil Williams right here on Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, and just plain right. You are listening to Ted Rawl, who is a good friend and maybe too good a friend. I think I'll let him slide on some of those issues that he said, but I've been assured that there will be a rebuttal at 4.30. So stand by for that. We got news here in Alabama. Um, we've been talking about, uh, well, first off, we started talking about Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. Maybe. That you you really don't care, do you, Copper? I'm sorry. I'm trying to look interested and I just... <laughs> <laughs> You're enthusiastic enough. On your... I think it's, I think it'd be fantastic to just, we're, we're, it's, the SEC is already the premier league in, in American uh, college football, and this would just make it more so. I mean, if you could add, um, I you know I grew up in the uh, in California. I'm from originally from Southern California, and uh, so I was used to the Pac-10, which had usually had I don't know a team, two teams that were any good, and the rest were you know Stanford, uh, but or Vander considered the Vanderbilt of the Pac-10. I certainly understand the thrill of the competition, and and enjoy watching <laughs> that. <laughs> But it's more theoretical. Do you or, watch the Olympics? Some some of them. Like uh, the gymnastics and the ice skating. Okay. You don't watch that during the rest of the, for four years, right? So every four years when the Olympics come around, you watch this stuff, right? Yes. So, I mean, for every four years, you care about the Olympics. And, um, uh, you know, weightlifting, I don't, I don't go home on Saturday and go, oh my gosh, kids, 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 gather on the TV. Uh, they're having weightlifting. Um. But the Olympics, as it were, if you've ever heard of, we're going to have Charles Lipson on the next, uh, the next uh, top of the hour. And Charles Lipson is a columnist for many places, but Real Clear Politics is one of them. He says a gold medal question, should women's sports even 
exist. And he's pegging this to Laurel Hubbard, a New Zealand weightlifter, a transgender uh, weightlifter. And so he raises and begs the question, should we even have these gender different? Should everyone just compete? You just have the 100-yard dash or 100-meter dash. You just have this or that. I don't know. It's crazy. Here in Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, um, Senator Tuberville, and I'm not making this up. This I don't know why this jarred me so much. Maybe it shouldn't, but it does. Tuberville, according to Yellowhammer News, Tuberville announces outreach coordinator for U.S. Senate re-election campaign. That's right. You heard me right, folks. Senator Tuberville is setting up as, a, as an outreach coordinator for his Senate re-election campaign. He just got elected. And that's I mean, that's probably one of the problems about politics today. I mean, is the fact that it's perpetual campaign. Maybe you have to. Maybe you have to continually run because that's the way things are now with the 24-hour news cycle, with guys like me and Phil on the air talking about politics constantly. The only way to stay ahead of the game is to stay ahead of the game. Uh, but it still freaks me out, man. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Especially when it just looks like a game of who has the most money. Well, up in Illinois, I'm... You know, I mentioned I was the cartoonist for the Chicago Tribune. The governor, uh, a billionaire, uh, has just dumped $35 million into his re-election campaign. Wow. Yeah. And what's funny about Illinois is that it lost a congressman and it has lost population. It's hemorrhaging it. They're taxing people until they bleed. And now they're talking about, after the election, raising taxes again. Oh. It's unbelievable. And... Here's the thing that's hilarious, and this is what really frosts my shorts about Democrats and liberals, is I had this discussion for years and still do. People aren't leaving Illinois because of the taxes. You want to bet, you want to bet um, the, some of the highest property taxes in the country, Illinois. Income taxes going up, up, up. I was giving a talk to um, a, a group of, an invest, uh, a guy who runs an investment firm, and his clients are very, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Rich. That's the word. And they, uh, they asked me to come to speak to them. I did. And so these are all guys whose average income, the low end was seven figures. You know, sort of like what producers make in radio. As <laughs> if. <laughs> That's sweet, sweet radio money. Anyway, so seven figures. And I did my spiel. I showed my cartoons. I did a Q&A. But at the end of the Q&A, I asked this room about 40 people. How many of you plan to be in Illinois next year? Two hands went up. Two. And these guys are, they're, they're voting with their feet. They're leaving the state in droves. I mean, I keep trying to convince them to come to Alabama. They're going to Texas and they're going to Florida. Now, let's think for a moment as Alabamians, which of those two states have in common? Ding. Lower taxes? No income tax. No income tax. No income tax. You know, I don't think Alabama should have income tax either. I think if we're going to be competitive, if we want to be the next Texas, and, and look at what Alabama has done. Illinois, <laughs> it's a basket case. It just is. They haven't addressed any of their problems. They're hundreds of billions of dollars in debt because of their uh, pension obligation, which they've kicked that can down the road forever. Um, but look at other states. I just drove across country and went across Ohio, stayed in Toledo, my wife thought that was a good idea. It seemed like a good idea at the time. These places are dying. Why are they dying? Because they're not making the kind of environment that we're doing that we're doing here in Alabama, and we have to continue to grow. 
We have to continue to say, we want industry. We want you here. Now, how do you say you want them here? We're not going to charge you an occupational tax if you're in Birmingham. We're not going to charge you an income tax. And the rest of the tax base will take care of itself. Our property taxes are still very, very low. And so I think Alabama is going to be one of the great states of the 21st century. I don't think there's any question in my mind about this. None. And but going forward, we have some problems and some issues we have to address. And, you know, you've got a, we're going to have special sessions coming forward, some of them on gambling, others, others on redrawing district lines, um, which is another issue altogether. I wish they would take out of politics because, well, it just gets silly. You know, again, I hate to keep harking back to Illinois. Uh, they actually would draw lines around an individual's house, especially the incumbent, to make sure that they didn't run again. <laughs> or or they had to run and be contested. I mean, and we have to do th run against things like this. The AEA, the Alabama Education Association, uh, the teachers union, has ordered a local educator to, and I'm not making this up, folks, cease and desist criticism of national union's critical race theory support. It was a uh, local board of education employee, Mary Crosby, earlier this week, received a cease and desist letter from the Alabama Education Association, which I'd love to hear Phil's take on this because Phil's a lawyer and knows that. Can you actually file just a cease and desist if you're someone's employer? Or I, I have no idea how this works. So, Phil, if you're listening, and I know that you are, <laughs> do me a favor and let's talk about this a little bit when uh, you know down the line, and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. It says Crosby on Facebook shared an article published by Fox News, which reported that the NEA's official position regarding critical race theory is that the controversial academic concept is quote reasonable and appropriate to incorporate in social studies curriculum. And her post. The North Alabama educator acknowledged that the AEA and NEA aren't entirely the same entities, but noted that dues payments may be shared between the local, state, and national organization. Before we dive, we get out of this segment, I want to mention, I want to brag to Copper for just a minute. The uh, lawsuit that came out of Illinois saying that, that state employees don't have to join the union, huge, huge Supreme Court decision. The guy who filed the, the, the suit was inspired by a cartoon that I drew. Oh, that's awesome. I am so proud of that. I cannot <laughs> begin to tell you. You're listening to the Phil Williams Show right here. Uh, <laughs> right here on Right Side Radio. Yeah, that's, that's uh, the paper slip there. Okay, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams. I'm Scott Stannis filling in. We're solid, conservative, and just plain right. And guess what? We'll be right back with Charles Lipson and talking about getting rid of gender in the Olympics. <laughs> 